Welcome to the Puerto Rico News Roundup podcast, prnewsroundup.com. I'm Gil Hall. Today is the 16th of January, 2017. Analyst and lawyer John Mudd is with me today to talk about a number of things that have been going on with PROMESA and the control board. Welcome, John. Oh, thank you for having me. Yeah, it's been a long time. Uh, a lot of stuff ha has happened. Uh, it seems that, that we're mm -hmm. back to where uh, PROMESA is more than just a piece of legislation at the point. We're actually getting um, some content. The board has met a couple times, mm -hmm. and we've had our first legal challenge. Give us an update. Okay. Essentially what happened was that there were two groups of uh, bondholders, one from, from the Highway Transportation Authority. Uh, their name was Peaje, which is, you know, toll in, in Spanish. The second group was from the uh, Employees Retirement Fund, the, the bonds issued there, and it was Altair, the uh, company. Altair has $1.7 billion of the $3.2 billion that the company has issued. The issue there was uh, whether the, the stay uh, could be lifted in those cases. The court was very worried about, the, first of all, the allegations by the IA. They said, we don't see any allegations where you say that you're um, lean. There's no doubt there was a lien and there's a, a pledge, which is important in other aspects of bankruptcy. And we don't see where you say that your lien has been depleted or is going to be depleted. There was some back and forth, but essentially after the opinion, the opinion said, well, they haven't argued that or even said that they have, so therefore we're not going to uh, give them a chance here. And Altair was different. Altair, they were very worried that the judges, especially Judge Cayata, who was the one who argued the most or, or asked the most questions. Um, they were worried, well, number one, about this, the, the um, burden of proof. In the 362, which is the lifting of the same bankruptcy, the burden of proof is very small for the, the movement. And they say, you know, I have a lien and I'm not being paid. And then the burden goes to the seller, uh, to the uh, debtor to say, hey, uh, this this is not going to deplete your, your lien, etc. Here they said, well, that's not what's going to happen. At all times, the burden will be on the person seeking the lifting of the stay, which is important. The second thing is, and that's where the government Puerto Rico lost big time. They were arguing, well, we can always um, deplete their lien or their pledge because they can sue us for damages. But Judge Cayeta was appalled at that, but the government kept on arguing on that, which I thought was ridiculous. And actually, the court said, well, you know what? That is not acceptable. Uh, that's the uh, Fifth Amendment uh, taking of property without just compensation issue, and we're not going to accept that. If there's a depletion of the, of the lien or the pledge, there could be, depending on the situation, a, a lifting of the state. And actually, they, they uh, remanded the case in the case of Altair for there to be a hearing, and, you know, on Friday the 20th, there will be a hearing. The last part was on the issue of... Uh, the intervention by the board, and the judge was, uh, Judge Associates, just by doing a very technical issue, and saying, you know, he shouldn't have done that. Yes, they didn't answer, but, you know, that's too, too small a, a violation for you to do that. So, therefore, it's very likely that the judge will allow the intervention, but will do whatever he thinks is right, anyways. And we will know that by Friday. We'll get an idea of where he where he thinks he's going to go during so, that hearing. So then the the uh, 
hearing that's coming up this Friday in San Juan, uh, the return of the Altair case to the federal district court here. What comes back to the court? What are we expecting to happen? Okay, and there, what you're only going to see is Altair will have to prove, in order to the identity of the state, <clears throat> whether their um, lien and pledge is being depleted. Okay. If it's being depleted 100%, yeah, there will be a lifting of the state. If it's being depleted partially, it will depend to what extent that partially is. And another very important point, I think, is that the board told the judge, you have to do this in an expedited form because Promesa requires that all these proceedings be expedited. It's very important because in, everybody forgets that in the Detroit um, litigation and bankruptcy, the uh, bondholders got the shaft because Judge Rose convinced the, I think it was the Sixth Circuit and the, the District Court of um, Michigan not to move the appeal. So basically, the bondholders were in no man's land. Now things will be decided quickly. Whether they're their favor or not, that's another matter. But they will be decided quickly. There, there was a bill introduced this week uh, by the Rosselló administration in the Puerto Rican House. And uh, it didn't really get any press that I saw, but it was really uh, quite a document. Um, and one of the things was mm -hmm. the extension of 154. Um, mm -hmm. Other kind of major things in there uh, is, are these sorts of bills going to make it through easily in the Puerto Rican House or uh, and Senate? Or, or is there going to be um, a great deal of tension about this. I mean, one of the things in the, in the bill was that the uh, governor could uh, fire uh, board members from the various yes. state entities yes. for entrenchments, I think it will pass, and I'll tell you why. In 2013, when Governor and then Governor uh, came in, he basically threatened each and every member of every board in Puerto Rico that they had to resign because he was going to make a public policy in Puerto Rico, which is not exactly what the left said. Because he was the governor, and if you didn't resign, I'm going to investigate you criminal. Most later, you're going to resign. Maybe it's not, not the best thing in the world or the worst thing in the world, but uh, in the minds of the very vegetable-minded uh, politicians in Puerto Rico, that's a good reason to do that. It'll be interesting to see if that bill gets more attention this week. The labor changes in the scheme of things that we're talking about is relatively small potatoes. Mm -hmm. Whether you agree with it or disagree with it, it's relatively small potatoes relative to uh, a bill very much like 154 uh, or 66 that could change the landscape for uh, decades. And yet we're talking about I the labor reform. Um, mm -hmm. Do you think that's sleight of hand? Is that intentional or is, or is this just the way I mean, labor has always been such a particular, powerful way of moving the public in Puerto Rico. Is it, is it unrelated, and that's just because labor um, labor conversations get a, get a lot of interest, or do you think it's kind of an intentional tactic to uh, hide this, this much more significant bill? A little bit of both. Remember that the opposition, which is going to be dri driving a lot of the discussion, uh, can't say much about Law 154 because they used it too. Uh, they can't uh, do much about Law 66 because they're the authors of Law 66. <laughs> right. So what is different? Ah, the labor. And they 
actually somebody put a, 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 a news from 2015 where a governor was saying that he was going to do that. It's exactly the same thing that we uh, that the present governor is doing. Garcia Padilla was going to do. Obviously, it wasn't done. Why? Because labor are their allies. Think about if all the things that uh, that the Garcia Padilla administration did in the past four years were done right now, labor would be uh, in arms because it's a different administration. In the previous administration, they were basically silent. So it's a little bit of both. Well, that that that's going to be. Um, so, so we have multiple courts going on here. We have the, the legal uh, cases that get the most, uh, most attention uh, amongst bondholders. For one thing, they happen in English. Mm-hmm. They happen in federal court. Yes. Um, it's a very visible yes. thing that's going on. We have this other realm that has always been in Puerto Rico. There's this kind of veil between everything that happens in the mainland and, and what happens in Puerto Rico. So then we have this other court mm-hmm. inside of Puerto Rico that has both the judicial issues and the legislative issues. And they're much more opaque mm-hmm. to the bondholders and to the people oh, in the yeah. states because the rules are different. It happens mm-hmm. in Spanish, all these different things. But we're going to see a lot of movement in the Puerto Rican court uh, in, in both of these realms in the next, mm-hmm. you know, in the coming years that are going to have tremendous effects on the way in which PROMESA gets implemented, the way in which uh, the debts get, get discussed and dealt with. A lot of this stuff is impacted by the way in which the Puerto Rican courts and the Puerto Rican legislator, legislature operate, um, and yet no one seems to discuss it. Uh, am, I, am I misinterpreting that? Is it just that people don't understand the complexity of mixing uh, law from Puerto Rico with the federal law. Uh, I, I just so, sort of feel like th- there's this big, um, everybody's just paying attention to federal court as if that were the only thing that mattered. And I think there's this all of this other stuff that's going on in Puerto Rico that really isn't being discussed at the national level and yet that, that could have every much, every bit as much impact on uh, where we go from here as, as the federal cases. I'm not in disagreement with you again. You're, uh, most people look at things in a very simplistic manner. For example, right now, the legislature is going to be dealing with what you just said, okay? Uh, the labor, labor issues, labor reform. There's a couple of things there that the Supreme Court of Puerto Rico may say it's unconstitutional, can't do that. Uh, and if it happens, it's going to be a problem. But I'll go further. We were talking about bonds. There is an issue in Lex, which is a case that everybody forgets, but it's still around, in which they're claiming, I am a GEO bondholder. I have a right to use the money they're using to pay uh, Cofina. So they pay me first before Cofina. And actually, they're going further. They're saying Cofina is unconstitutional. Cofina has no right to be paid. Who decides that? Technically, it should be the Supreme Court of Puerto Rico. The judge, is the, um, Judge Vesosa, is the one who has the issue before him. He can do one or two things. He can decide or he can send the, uh, the issue in a certification procedure. question is, uh, the, from the district court to the Supreme Court, hey, please, could you tell me what is the answer to this question? And they put the whole issue of Queen Arsene's deals there. The Supreme Court at the same time can say, you know what, I'm not going to answer that question. Or I can answer the question, and that is the and that is the decision. Nothing else. 
And if Judge Vesoso decides, whatever it is he decides, they can go over, um, the loser goes over to um, the First Circuit, and the First Circuit could say, you know what, Judge Vesoso, you should have let the Supreme Court decide that. So it could go again to the Supreme Court. And we don't know, because it's going to be unfolding. The last 30 to 60 days is going to be incredibly complex. Well, let's shift with that to talk about um, kind of what's going on with the board, because what we've just been discussing is really um, just the the legal cases um, and the legislative issues that are going on both at the federal level and um, at the ELA level. But there's also a lot going Mm -hmm. on with the board itself in terms of its internal deliberations, um, appointing executive directors, appointing legal team, appointing analysis team. All these things are are going on as well. there has been a lot of discussion uh, kind of in the background. I haven't seen it uh, discussed much in, in the actual press of how quickly the board is moving on some of this stuff, um, how much yes. they're pressuring yes. people to yes. adhere to these deadlines. Um, we all thought these deadlines when they came out were, were pretty unrealistic. They were, they were really aggressive. And it seems like the board, though, is taking those deadlines uh, maybe not literally, but they're really, really pushing for that, and a lot of folks are scared. Yes. Why do you Why do you think that is? Well, there's. If you look at the, the letter of December twentieth, we discussed before, uh, by the board to the governor elect and to the governor in that time, uh, they state that there is going and they have a timetable, and on the week of the sixteenth, they were going to have, which is starting today, of course. They were going to have discussions from the uh, from the board who was going to discuss the fiscal plan. Okay. Now we both know that that would mean that the board will make the fiscal plan, and that whatever the administration, the present administration, was going to contribute would not be considered because the administration has said time and time again we have we can't do it in that time frame, and they asked for an extension, which was they asked uh, on January the fourth. Now I discussed this. Uh, extensively with people close to the administration. And uh, there is, seems to be some certain tension between the board and the administration. Uh, if you look at Section 206A and you look at Section 405, the end of, I think it's LRN, I'm not remember, don't remember exactly which one. The law says, Promesa says, that Puerto Rico is the one who's going to do the negotiations on Title VI. Okay? Not the board, but the board seems to think, and it's in their letters and their their statements, that they're going to start negotiations, and they allegedly started them on December 19th, and they have met with different uh, groups. But I've been told that it was a meet-and-greet type of meeting, not actually a discussion of those issues. So who is in charge of doing the the, uh, negotiations? The board? Puerto Rico, I think it's Puerto Rico. Well, my, but my the point, you know, should... of the PROMESA legislation was that, uh, and, and mm-hmm. I remember at the time we all, that there was some disagreement about this, was that the Puerto Rico would do the negotiations, but the board had to approve exactly. anything that happened. Yeah. So I wonder if the board, in, in just an aggressive attempt to get this done more quickly, is simply saying, uh, you know, we're gonna, going to be a part of that initial process because we don't want to get down the road and have spent all this time only to realize that what has been negotiated won't work. Um, I wonder if this is a part of their aggressive time frame um, more than a uh, determination to take it over from Puerto Rico. Well, that makes sense. Well, let's, 
there's several scenarios, but possible scenarios. We have to be fair to the board in terms that we all know that the, president, the previous administration did not, and I repeat, did not negotiate with the gun owners. Uh, especially after Momentum was approved June 30, everything broke down. Uh, you and I were both there when Melba said had the first time they had discussed negotiations with their bond holders being January 29th of 2016. Whereas before we had been told by Melba herself, no, no, we've been discussing it. But on the road, she said the Okay, so the board knows that there had been no discussions on, on negotiations. Therefore, there had not been any good faith negotiations. So if they wanted to have the, the plan by the 31st of January, they had to move quickly. But still, it's only three days, and how the hell are you going to have good faith negotiations in three days? And the fact that they insisted that the term was going to be the 31st made me think that maybe they wanted to take the whole government of Puerto Rico and Prepa and Pras and a couple of others into Title III, which is the bankruptcy in the government. However, uh, the government, Puerto Rico, clearly didn't want to do that. And, want, and they not only asked for an extension for the um, filing of the fiscal plan, but also for an extension on the, um, from the state. Contrary to what a lot of people were saying, you did not, do not have to approve the fiscal plan in order to extend the state. You do have to, to approve the fiscal plan in order to do two things. One is to have the uh, the budget approved, but that would be in June, May, June. And the second of all is the Title III bankruptcy. The law specifically says that you need to have the, the plan approved. So we don't really know. And the fact that they're letting the time elapse without saying anything about that extension makes me nervous because I don't think Puerto Rico really needs to get into a Title III. I was checking the other day, and in the Detroit case, the bankruptcy, which was for $18 billion, no Puerto Rico owes a lot more than that, uh, it cost Detroit $178 million, of which the lawyers was only $50 million. The experts, et cetera, was the other, the other part. So I don't think it's a good idea for Puerto Rico to go into bankruptcy. Um, Detroit has not been able to go into the market to get any money without the guarantee by the state of Michigan. And who's going to guarantee a loan to Puerto Rico? Congress? I don't think so. so but John, realistically, uh, a lot of, no matter how this plays mm -hmm. out, there's going to be a huge amount of litigation over this. Um, I mean, oh, there, there, it, 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 this isn't a question of whether we can solve it and, and, and stay out of court. There is going to be, you know, World War III between Cofina and Geo. I mean, we know some of these yes. huge things that are coming. So, so it's not a simple question of, of whether we can solve this quietly and, and move on um, and get everything mm -hmm. cleaned up under Title III. Title III itself is messy, but all of the things that are going to yes. go on before you can even get there, like the Cofina and Geo war, those sorts of things. So, so we're going to have so many pieces, parts going on in terms of, of uh, legislation, in terms of, well, let's just quit, stick with the courts. We're going to have so much going on in the courts over a lot of these issues that it's not... Uh, I guess I'm just saying that, that, that getting through uh, Title III is going to be a very difficult process, even if that's what we start with, um, just because of the, the, the practicalities and the way in which uh, there will be, be fights amongst everyone. Um, 
So it's it's complicated. Well, let's let's talk about Elias Sanchez. Um, the let me let me put let, let me point out a little a little thing that has to do exclusively with bankruptcy. A lot of people forget that. Um, I think I mentioned that uh, the the Judge Vesosa and the First Circle both agreed that Alcare uh, and um, and they had a lien and had a pledge. What that means in terms of Title III is that Section 922 and 929 of the Bankruptcy Code, which were uh, adopted in PROMESA under Section 301, they both provide that when there is a bankruptcy, and in this case Title III, the automatic stay does not apply to the paying of those bonds. In other words, tomorrow will be into Title um Battle three, you have to pay the bond, no matter what, because it's required. And for example, the uh, ones for Prepa, um, they're revenue bonds, uh, and they were the same way. Of course, they have a limit under 928, which is you have to pay the expenses first. But here, in the other ones I mentioned, you don't have that, that limitation. So, so this, this is due specifically people... to the use of the terms lien and pledge? Is that what, that what you're saying? Is exactly. Because of bankruptcy treating those words and those categories specially, uh, we're, we've learned mm -hmm. more than it may seem just by the use of those terms? Is exactly. that what you're saying? Exactly. Mm -hmm. And nobody, except me and maybe somebody else, I think uh, Leslie Jacoby, I think, said that. They forget. No, it wasn't Leslie Jacoby. It's actually interesting enough, Lisa Donahue said. Those bonds will have to be paid no matter what. And everybody's thinking, oh, we go bankruptcy, we don't pay anything. Well, that's not the way it works. Right. Right, this is where we enter the, the uh, netherworld of, of bankruptcy legislation, excuse me, bankruptcy law that, that is really its own uh, beast in a lot of ways. Uh, and mm -hmm. since we're not actually dealing with straight Chapter 9, uh, which is mm -hmm. rarely used in itself. We're dealing with even more complicated. We're dealing with a sort of Chapter Nine under under Title Three. That's exactly. Going to, we don't really have a whole lot of, of law um, to know how some of this stuff is going to play out because it's literally Chapter Title Three's never happened, and there've been so few Chapter mm -hmm. Nines that there are a lot of unanswered questions about Chapter Nine that are that are out there. Um, yeah. I want to move to to Elias Sanchez and talk about. Uh, he's the uh, Rosselló appointment to the board mm -hmm. as a representative of the governor. The communications that I've seen between the governor, uh, governor's office and the board, at least the, the, the information that's being made public, it feels like Sanchez is, is not even a part, like he's not privy to any of this stuff. Uh, I, mean, it, it, I feel like, you know, he, he, keeps, he sends these letters and says, you know, please, uh, we need this and we need this, and the board doesn't respond. Well, if he's actually on the board, wouldn't he have some uh, some internal knowledge of what's going on? I mean, it, he just seems like a complete outsider. But but can that be true? Is this? Uh, have you heard anything about that? Well, it is it is it is possible. If he's not, if they have, if the board has a meeting, he has to be there. But who says that they will tell him that they're having meetings? We've seen that in those meetings, what has happened is that there has been agreements already made, and they make a, a motion, and it's approved, and it's all done behind closed doors. 
it's very possible that he's not being left uh, uh, in the loop of what's actually going on. And since he doesn't have a vote, they don't have to put him in. But what is the benefit of this? This is the ultimate. See, that doesn't make sense for me from a strategic standpoint, even if uh, I'm not sure that, that, that I believe that could even happen. But, but the board desperately needs Puerto Rico's cooperation in terms of implementing all the things that need to happen. This is not something that the feds can administer. It's not something that all the changes it couldn't even be done by the board in itself, even if it wanted to. It needs the cooperation of the Puerto Rican legislature and uh, the governor's office. Why, why make this alienation? Why not embrace um, the governor's representative, especially under this new administration where people, the, the administration is, is, seems to be making a genuine effort to interface with everyone and, and to uh, hit the ground running. What's the benefit in terms of leaving the designate of, of the governor of Puerto Rico out of this? It just seems like that's not that, that's not very smart strategy, and and none of the people involved in this are dumb. They're all mm-hmm. really really smart people. Well, I look at it from this point of view. You have courts, and they have for the losses. Now, what you think that the losses is another thing. And then third, as I said many a time, PROMESA is only an experiment to see how we do a bankruptcy law for the state. Eagle uh, has written articles in um, the Wall Street Journal and uh, law reviews as to a bankruptcy law for the state. What better way to uh, experiment than doing it in the territory? Well, that's the history of a lot of, yeah. uh, you know, separate but equal legislation, um, some of which has been well-intended in Puerto Rico, has also been the doom of the island. Uh, yeah. you know, the, the changes in Jones Act and well-intentioned to keep Puerto Rico from the federal tax system, well-intentioned, and it just went awry. Um, and so I, I wonder with this, this w- with not giving Chapter 9, uh, and creating something else, if we haven't walked into the same sort of trap again of, it being, uh, it seeming like a good idea to have something separate to deal mm-hmm. with this very specific circumstance, but in doing so, you create a whole set of, of other problems that you didn't anticipate. And I, I, based on having read so much of Puerto Rican history and, and read all these things, that's my sense of this: is these 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 well-intentioned pieces of legislation that have come from the U.S. over many many years. Uh, well, some of them well-intentioned, some of them aren't. But but let's just get a, the benefit of the doubt. The ones that that were also ended up just becoming, uh, it gets very messy. And, and I wonder if, if that's really where we're headed down this whole thing is is to regret, gosh, we really sh- should have done chapter nine, um, you know, because we, we've created a whole separate host of problems that, you know, are, are well, uh, themselves complicated. Mm-hmm. Well, going back to, to my point that this is an experiment, chapter nine doesn't get rid of the most important part, which is the uh, GO that uh, Chapter 9 is for uh, municipalities and for, um, what you might call this, the different... Um, instrumentalities, not for the central government. Instrumentalities. I think I, I did a posting in my, in my blog, John Mudball, a while ago, that if we look at the Quebra Criolla implementations that was, that were placed there and what Chapter 9 uh, provides, it's only about a third right. or less than a third of the amount of money the old would be eligible for, for bankruptcy. Mm-hmm. So Chapter 9 was not really uh, 
the issue that, or, or the instrument that they uh, or thought to be needed. So, th so the next things that we've got coming, uh, as you say, it's a, it's going to be a, mm -hmm. a, a big time frame. But the big things that we've got are the federal court case uh, this week. Mm -hmm. This will be on that's yes. this Friday, this coming Friday, um, and we have mm -hmm. all the kind of deadlines associated with the with the board. Um, yeah. And we don't know when they're going to respond to any of these things. They've actually been responding uh, when when no one expected. You know, here's a here's a ten page letter. Here's a it's been somewhat arbitrary. So we're, we're yes. but that's the next step, mm -hmm. right? I mean, that's what we need to know is kind of more from them where we're going. Uh, in the November meeting, mm -hmm. I think they implied that there might be a, another board meeting uh, late this month. I haven't heard anything about that. Actually, the, the board, the, the, the letter says that it was supposed to be this week, this week on the 16th. Well, I remember that they were going to get together the week of the 16th, but but in terms of there being mm -hmm. an actual, yeah. I think it was one of those things that was phrased as terms of like a work week or something like that. But in terms of an actual yeah. meeting of the board, a formal meeting, mm -hmm. my recollection was going to be late uh, late January, but I haven't heard anything about that, which makes me think that's been been pushed out um, based on all these. these I don't think there's going to be an actual meeting for the public to see. Uh, I think there's a couple of things that we got to look for. If we don't hear anything about extension. Uh, on the 31st, we received the uh, fiscal plan. We can pretty much believe that there will be bankruptcy in February because there will be you know, makes no, no other sense. However, if there's an extension, then we will have to wait until May 1st see what happens. Well, so when when is the uh, when do they have to to decide on the extension of the stay? It's February, mid February, is that right? Uh, well, it happened until February 13th. Okay, right. I suppose the same day or the day, or the day after, or the day before, I'm sorry, they can do it. And, but, you know, that's about it. Well, I mean, it pretty nothing, much, nothing else will does anybody sense. think that there won't be a stay, that the stay won't continue? I mean, I haven't talked to anyone who thinks, who has well, assumed that the um, stay will I was uh, under the impression because of the, the, the delay. There's no reason for the delay, even... Two, two important groups of bondholders have already told you, hey, we're, we're in agreement with it. If you add COFINA and you add GOs together, it's about $35 billion, which is about half or more than half of what we owe. So what's the problem? Why can't you just say, hey, we're going to do it? Why do you have to take so long to, to, to determine that? I mean, you just look at things. You don't need, unless you really want to you know, inflate your importance or you're actually going to deny it. Well, this goes back to, so uh, I say we want to wrap up in the night, then I get going into another direction. But this actually segues to an important point. Um, the, if, if we even get to late January and the board simply releases a fiscal plan and says this is yeah. the plan that we have approved, mm -hmm. I don't think that's going to happen. Yeah. If, it, if it does happen, mm -hmm. I go back to the point that the implementation of this requires Puerto Rico's cooperation. It really does. I mean, there's just no way to do it. I agree. And yet we had the uh, now president of the Puerto Rican Senate, uh, Tomas Rivera Schatz, this week did an interview mm -hmm. in which he basically said, you know, we, the, the legislature, won't hesitate to go to court to fight a the, the, the policies that come out of a fiscal plan that affect the island. So okay, now, okay. now we've got another whole you, realm you, of, of uh You've got a problem a, there, I don't and explain. And Rivera Schatz has a problem with all that. Okay? If the board 
approves the fiscal plan, or if the board does not extend the time, the fiscal plan, the decision, the certification of the fiscal plan is unappealable. Okay? Three Court of the United States has said that you can do things that are not appealable as long as Congress makes clear that they're not appealable. And PROMESA is extremely clear, saying wherever there is, where it says that the board has to make a certification, that decision is unappealable. Right. Okay? The extension of the of the, the, the state, however, if I remember correctly, says in the board's sole discretion. Now, so that those words are a little bit different because it doesn't say that you can appeal them. However, if you look, for example, at ERISA, which is the law that I think looks most in terms of strange law, they use those words, and the, the courts have uh, interpreted meaning, yes, you can challenge it, but you have to have extreme, your burden of proof is really big for us to reverse it. So it's not that it's not appealable, but it's like unlikely that you will get an, get an well, appeal over that. It's like a... Uh, a very high center of review. But but my point with with the, with the non-appealable, let, let's just even say that it is not appealable. Okay, so the board releases a mm-hmm. uh, fiscal plan and says this is it, you can't appeal it. Let's just assume that's true. Again, I go back to the point that in order to implement this, the board, mm-hmm. the federal government, everyone who has a stakeholder stake in, in this, the representatives of Puerto Rico have to play a role in that. It doesn't matter if it's not appealable. Yeah. I mean, you, you can pass it. You can come up with a bill. Um, you can do anything you want. If, if the Puerto Rican House and Legislature and the executive branch refuse to cooperate, this could go in. I mean, it, we could end in a, in a stalemate anyway. Um, because you, you, the people who can implement this. But what if you go into this, Sorry? Well, what if you go into Title Three? Well, it still doesn't solve the problems. and That, that, that would be a debt. Uh, that, that that might change the, the well, it would change um, the, the debt amounts, but it doesn't change but the, the implementation the, of any other plans. But you have to consider, and I, I, I am totally agreeing with you that it makes no sense to do it that way. However, however, when you look at Title Three and you look at what the board's supposed to do, the board files the petition, the, bar, the board files the bill, plan. And inside the bankruptcy plan, you can implement changes to governance. Mr. Steele wrote an article as to the changes of governance in Chapter 9. And he cited with approval what the judge in the Chrysler bankruptcy did. Guess who was the judge in the bankruptcy case? Arthur Gonzalez. Exactly. Yeah. So, Again, unless I agree with you 100%, it makes no sense to do that. The thing is that there should be cooperation and coordination. But sometimes when you give power to some people, they miss it. But, you know, I mean, again, I'm, I'm going back to the things that, that the board and that, that generally um, all mainlanders suffer from with Puerto Rico is they haven't read the history. So we've been through this before. We've been through exactly this sort of behavior where the U.S. Uh, federal branch thinks it can insert itself, uh, can tell Puerto Rico how it's going to do something, how, what it's going to behave. Well, I mean, no, it doesn't work that way. I mean, Puerto Rico has refused in very clever ways uh, to participate. 
so there, there are enormous ways that Puerto Rico could, could thwart um, a lot of these things. It might not be able to change Chapter 3 um, or Title 3, but there's mm -hmm. a lot of other mm -hmm. things that, that you know, need to happen in, in terms of, of not just I agree how, with how do you maintain you, the, the economy. That could happen. We're back to the in, in extraordinary complexity. Um, people think it's over and this is easy and neat and done and it's just so messy and there's so many different ways mm -hmm. that, that, that we're going to have to pay attention to this. So, well, thanks for joining me and having this conversation. Uh, as you know, we will have lots more of these coming up because there's just so much, mm -hmm. so much, <laughs> so much to look forward to. So uh, thanks for joining me. Thanks for having me. That's today's show. You can contact me on Twitter with questions or comments at at Gillam Hall, G-I-L-L-A-M-H-A-L-L, as well as at the website, prnewsroundup.com. You'll find John on Twitter at Mudlaw, at M-U-D-D-L-A-W. You can subscribe to the podcast on iTunes and Stitcher.